All right. Okay, well, let's continue on. We're going to give you time to talk to each other at the end of the service, so I, lo- I always love that time. Well, good to be with you. Uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 27. Uh, you are always welcome if you prefer to use a digital version. You can use that. Uh, and if you uh, don't have your own Bible, we have them available in the back of the room. You are welcome to take that as our gift to you if you need, need one for your own. But we're, gonna be in, we're in Genesis, chapter 20, uh, 37 this morning. And we've been in a series called God of Our Fathers, and this series has been studying the life of, uh, of the patriarchs as, as they're known throughout the book of Genesis, beginning with a guy named Abraham, his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, uh, who also has, goes by the name of Israel, his name changed, and uh, today we're looking at Joseph, who's Jacob's son. Now this whole thing, why we want to study the God of our fathers, it's the God who called these people out, he called Abraham out of his land into a new land and was developing a new nation for the purpose of, through these people, would be the the people through whom God would communicate his character and his ways to the rest of the world. In fact, we learn in Genesis chapter 12 that through this family of God and this nation, all the world can be blessed. And we'll see that show up even in today's story. So it's the God of the fathers who calls this nation out. And now for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we believe we're grafted into this family. We're part of this story now. And so we learn about our God and how he interacts with people. So that's why we've been going through this series. Now, we're in Genesis chapter 37 today. And we're looking at this big idea of God's kind of story, the big uh, story of what he is doing and why he's working through these people and, and th- who will one day also be the nation through whom he'll bring the Messiah to bring salvation for all the nations. And today we're in ja- chapter 37. I'm going to read through different verses of this story and portions of chapter 39. And then at the end, we'll kind of back up and look at what can we learn from it. So we're going to jump right in in ja- Genesis 37, beginning in the second half of verse 2. It says, Joseph, and this is Jacob's son, his, his 11th son, by the way. Joseph was 17 years of age, and he was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth. And in, at the end of that chapter or verse, it says, Joseph brought back a bad report about his brothers to their father. Now, Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a multicolored cloak. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Now, just really quickly, there's parenting advice, just really quick. (laughs) So Jacob loved his son Joseph more than all the others. Now, there might be, as a parent, that's generally you want to avoid that, okay? Um, There's days when you have your favorites, of course, but, um, and moments when you have your favorite, but he has his favorite And he gives him this multicolored cloak or robe. And this would be the outer coat that they wore. And normally you just have basically kind of a whitish color, the color of wool. It would be the cloak. So he gives him this multicolored cloak, which would only be for, it usually was a sign of royalty or of wealth, a position of status. Because the dyes that it took to make this this thing. Now, I don't know what it looked like. I, I, I looked online to see people's interpretation, and it's everything from like just these hideous looking like, you know, 10 different colors on there, the robe. I don't know what that meant, um, but whatever it was, it was a symbol of his status, and he was 
the favored son and letting everyone know it. So again, not parenting advice here, but it's, it's the story. And his brothers hated him for it. Now, verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told this dream to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And this is uh, sheaves of wheat. So they would cut the wheat and bind it together in these stacks of wheat. And, and so we were binding sheaves in the field. And my sheaf rose up and b- above all of yours. And yours gathered around and bowed down to mine. Again, so this, you know, maybe not the best dream to share with your brothers who already hate you. You're number 11 out of 12 sons, and you say, hey, Dad, I had this dream. It's, you got it. It's a funny dream. You should hear this. You guys all bowed down to me in my dream. And they said, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Verse 9. Now Joseph had another dream, and he related it to his brothers. And he said, behold, I had another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the star, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, I want to pause just for a moment. Because if you've ever studied the life of Joseph or heard others talk about him, I think Joseph gets a bad rap. Because often what I've heard, that people will say, Joseph was a little arrogant, wasn't he, to, say, to share this dream. That's what I've heard. That how would he, you know, like, hey guys, I just want you to know the dream is you're going to bow down before me, I'll reign and rule over you. Or if he's not arrogant, at best, they would say he's naive. To think like people want to hear that dream. There's just some dreams you say like, just keep that one to yourself. (laughs) Write it in your little dream journal, but just keep it to yourself. We don't want to hear it. But in this case, Joseph shares it. Now, I actually don't think that he was naive and I don't think he's arrogant. I think that Joseph was convinced that this was a message from God and a dream and a vision from God. I'm convinced that he heard this and he may have even been reluctant because it said his dreams even after the first one. Could it be that Joseph was wrestling with this and finally he said, I think this is something, the Lord is bringing this vision and it's a dream that he has, it's God is leading me, I'm going to take a step of faith and let you know about this. And sometimes when we step out in faith and we follow the dream and the vision that God has, it's not always going to make friends. Everyone might not say, that is so great. What a great idea. We love that God's leading you that way. In this case, his brothers didn't want to hear it. Even his own father. But now notice their response in verse 11. His brothers were what? They were jealous. They hated him, but they were jealous. Now, would you be jealous of someone you thought was crazy and didn't have anything to say? Would you be jealous if they didn't believe that those visions might actually be from God and have some merit? You would just say like, oh, there's little Joe again, our little brother, trying to get attention. He's always doing something, trying to stand out. He's the young, one of the youngest. Who cares? Him and his dreams. No, they were jealous. Why is God using him? Why is God speaking to him? Why did he call him out for a dream? Why is God going to do something in his life and not ours? They were jealous. 
His dad rebuked him, but he kept the saying in mind. You see, his dad was no stranger to visions and dreams from God. His dad had some experience of being the younger brother and being elevated. His dad had some experience in seeing that God sometimes works in ways that we don't really think are the ways he should work. And that when you think it should be one way, God sometimes twists it and turns it upside down. So he kept the saying in mind. Let's continue with the story. Let's go down to verse 18. This is later on, the brothers, uh, some of them are tending flocks in a city called Shechem. Now in verse 18, Joseph is sent down to check on them by his father. And when they saw, the brothers saw Joseph at a distance, before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Now then, come, let us kill him, throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let's see what becomes of his dreams. They didn't want to hear. They, see, they still are thinking those dreams might come true. So they say, let's throw him in the pit. Let's kill him. Then let's see if God's really speaking to him. And then Reuben said, shed no blood. Let's just throw him into the pit in the wilderness, but don't lay hands on him. Let's jump down. Or then Keep going. So then it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped off his cloak his multicolored cloak that was on him, and they took him and they threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. <laughs> so, you know, you throw your brother in a pit, and then you're like, let's have lunch. <laughs> kind of tired. <laughs> so they sit down to eat a meal, and as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels, and they were heading down to Egypt. So there was a nomadic tribe that was on this um, spice trade route was coming, and they saw them. Judah, verse 26, the oldest brother, or Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. So he's having like a moment of conscience and says, he's, he's our brother. We shouldn't kill him. Let's sell him. Let's sell him. Let's get something out of this. I mean, come on. Why would we do, why would we do this and get nothing? So they sell him for 20 shekels, which is essentially was two years worth of wages. Pretty good profit on your little brother. <laughs> now, I know oldest, older siblings in this place. How many older siblings have tried to sell one of your younger siblings in here? I'm sure it's happened. I didn't grow up in the world of internet and eBay, but if I did, I'm sure my name would be on eBay, and my bro- it would be contact my brother, and you know, he had a good price for me. Um, so and he'd just say, Dad, it's in the Bible. I mean, what's wrong with that, selling my brother? But yeah, so they tried to sell, or they sell their brother to this nomadic tribe. Now, I want you to jump with me down to verse, or chapter 39. So Joseph has been sold on the slave route. He's taken to the home of a guy named Potiphar, who's in Egypt now. Read the rest of the story here. Verse, chapter 39, verse 1. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in his house, was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now the master saw that the Lord was with Joseph, and how the Lord caused all he did to prosper in his hand. I want you to, if you take notes in your Bible, mark that verse, verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him. 
So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. He made him overseer over his house, and he, all that he owned he put into his charge. It came about from that time he made him overseer in the house over all that he owned, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was on all he owned in the house and the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. So we see here that in a moment when I would think that if you are Joseph and you think you have a dream, a vision from God, you share that either reluctantly or glad, joyfully, I don't know, but you share it and your reward is that you are sold into slavery. At this point, this is where many of us give up. This is the point in the story where many of us say, God, seriously, this is your reward for me saying your dreams? This is what you want of, of your servants? But Joseph somehow seems to have this integrity bone in him. He seems to still live the ways of the Lord now in the house of his new master. And he's noticed. See, I believe that when God's people live as God's people, it blesses others and they take notice. We see that in this story. So now let's get to the last half of verse 6. Our high school pastor, he's trying to get the whole staff to memorize this part of the verse. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that the master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said to him, lie with me. That's called being forward. Um, and, but he refused, and he said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He's put, it, uh, put all things he owns in my charge. Therefore, there's no one greater in the house than me. He's withheld nothing from me except for you because you're his wife, by the way. <laughs> How could I do this great evil, and notice this, and sin against God? So Joseph still has this integrity. He has this walk with the Lord. He has this conviction that this is the way I want to live. And for him, even giving in would be a sin against God. No, this is not even about my master. It's about my relationship with the creator of the universe. And day after day, she pursued him. Until verse 12, one day he was in the house. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. And he went outside. And when she saw that he left his garment and fled outside, she called to the other men in the house and said, see, he's brought a Hebrew into this and he's made sport of us. He came in to lie with me and I screamed. And when he heard that I screamed, he left and he left his cloak here. So she was embarrassed by his integrity, and so she accuses him now. Now, this sermon is not about temptation and about sin, but if we wanted to talk about that, sometimes, just a little advice, we just need to run. Sometimes you need to leave the cloak and run. Some of you know what those struggles are in your own life, and you hang out with the person hanging your cloak a little too long. Maybe you hang out around the internet when no one else is home a little too long. Maybe you hang out around the, the bottle of alcohol when you know you probably shouldn't be hanging out with that bottle for very long because it's a struggle of yours, and there's times you just need to run. Again, this morning it's not about temptation, but we can't see that without acknowledging it. What is it for you? So Joseph runs, but he leaves his cloak behind. And now he's accused, falsely accused. Verse 19 when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. 
and, and he was there in the jail. Now, by the way, this is interesting, because the punishment for a Hebrew slave to do what he was accused of doing would have been death on the spot. I've often looked at this story and wondered, was Potiphar, what was he angry about? Because a couple of verses earlier, it was he didn't have to concern himself with anything when Joseph was in charge. His number one employee just got fired or just left, and now he's thinking, oh. did he even believe his wife's charge? He put him in the king's prison, which was often for Pharaoh's. If you came out of fair, favor with Pharaoh, you'd be thrown into this prison. Not the worst punishment for a slave accused of this thing. I think Potiphar actually probably didn't believe his wife, but he had to save face. Joseph ends up in the jail in verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor, notice this again, in the sight of the jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Again, when God's people live as God's people in whatever situation, it blesses others. As God works through you, in you, around you, it's a blessing to others. Now, what can we learn from this story? Because here we have Joseph, one of the characters in the Bible that we don't have a lot of character flaw issues with. In fact, in the study of the patriarchs to this point, he's the only one that I look at and think, wow, that's a tough act to follow. The other ones, I think, that's kind of easy to follow that act. (laughs) But Joseph is the one with integrity. But now Joseph is the one who seems, everything seems to be going wrong. He's in the pit. The pit of despair. Okay, not the pit of despair, but he's in this pit. Thank you. Someone knows the movie reference, I think, on that. Yeah, don't even try to get out. Okay, yeah, so Princess Bride. All right, there you go. So he is thrown into the pit. He lives with integrity. Then he's brought into, he he becomes a slave. He, He lives with integrity. Now he's thrown into a prison. For what? So there's a few thoughts I have from this story that I think we can learn from. The first one is this. God's plan doesn't always exclude pain. God's plans does not, do not always exclude pain. You see, I wish the story of, hey, I, I submit my life to you. I put my faith in the work of Christ. I want to follow him. I want to be caught up in, in your mission, God, and what you do. And so then everything should be smooth and easy going from here. But unfortunately, Scripture gives us a different story. Often, The path of a person following the Lord is one that's filled with pain and suffering. And God's plan doesn't always exclude pain. Joseph learns that. And sometimes the pain in your life is a thing that actually God uses later on to either develop you, to help you grow in your faith, to grow in your trust and your belief in who God is and His ways, Or actually, he uses those experiences to minister to others who will need it at some point in their lives. But sometimes God's plan includes pain and suffering. But that isn't always the end. For many of us, we think the pain, the hardships, the suffering is evidence that God is not with you. But that's not what the story is. You know, this last week, something happened to me I didn't think would ever happen. Uh, My wife came home, and and she told me she was flipping through the radio station, and she started listening to country music. I didn't think I'd ever hear that in my house. 
And, and, but she started listening to country music. And, and so then I was driving to it, and she said, it's kind of interesting. It's a culture I don't understand. And, and she's like a research mind. So she goes, it's kind of fun to you know, hear from a different segment of society. Now, I know some of you are country music fans in here. Um, so, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. Was that one person? All right, yeah. All right. But so then that, later that day, I, for the first time in my life, tried to find a country music station on my, cha- on my radio, and I turned on some country music, and I, I have to admit, it was actually entertaining, like, there's some of it was catchy, but it was really fun to listen to. One of the songs, first songs I heard was, I Will Name the Dogs, and, and, and actually, I really liked the song. At the end of it, it basically says, you name the babies, I'll name the dogs, and, and, and I thought, that's, that's like good marriage advice right there. You know, divide, divide and conquer. Just, you know your role, I know my role. I'll name the dogs. And, and so, and, so and, and, and that's kind of how it works in my house anyway. So it, so it felt very accurate. Another song I heard was uh, Folks Like Us. And it said, we're just looking for some, some dream-chasing, beer-drinking folks like us. Boot-wearing, God-fearing folks like us. And I heard that and thought, this is on the radio. This is like, these are people in our country. This is interesting, really good. And then I heard another song that um, had some theology I want to share with you. The the name of this song is When It Rains, It Pours. And he actually was using it the opposite way, like when good things start happening, all this stuff is. But it starts off on Sunday, his fiance gets upset with him. You're not in your head. You know the song. Oh, man, okay. So on Sunday, his fiance gets upset with him. On Tuesday, she won't talk to him, and on Thursday, she's left. Okay, and I think that's like how all country songs start, somewhere along those lines. So by Thursday, she left, and now he says, so to clear his mind, he had to go for a drive on the I-65, which after the first service, someone came up to me and said, you know, that runs right through Nashville. And so I don't even know who the person was, where they came from, but country music right here. Oh, so he, he was riding on I-65, and he pulled over on a Shell station and bought a scratch-off lottery ticket, won 100 bucks, with which he bought two 12-packs and a tank of gas. And then he was, while he was waiting, he was caller number five on the radio and won a fishing trip down to Panama. And, and so the song goes on and has all these things that are happening in his life. And, and the chorus is like, and I ain't got to see my future ex-mother-in-law anymore. So um, <laughs> it's good stuff. I mean, you know, I bet a lot of you are going to flip your stations on the way home today, aren't you? Like, oh, that sounds really interesting. So then the second verse comes on. And he says, I've been thinking, the only logic of all of this, since you've left me, it's the only logical reason that I got the last space in the Hooters parking lot, <laughs> and the waitress wrote her number on my receipt, and she picked up the phone on the very first ring, then what? What does it say after that? No. <laughs> and, and essentially what happens is his whole life, and, and he has this line in it, and he says, what I thought would be the death of me proved to be my only saving grace. And he takes this whole thing where he says he was in this relationship that was kind of not working and it was toxic and what I'm reading into it now and, and, and that wasn't working and when that broke down and he thought was the end, the death of him proved to be the thing that actually is bringing life. And so now here comes the theology. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> 
When we look at our lives and sometimes the pain, God's plan doesn't always exclude pain. The thing we think is the death of us might be the one thing that's the only saving grace. And sometimes when we look back, we can actually see how God's been moving and working all along. For some of you, maybe you're single adults and there's a relationship that broke down and it ended and you think, God, I was try- I'm trying to live with integrity. I'm trying to do with what's right. I'm trying to walk with you. And, and these relation- this relationship fell apart, God. Come on. Maybe I should have compromised. And you feel like it's the end. But maybe what you don't know is there's a n- different relationship waiting that's even better. Or maybe there isn't. But what you don't know is that relationship was going to actually be the death of you. It was going to be toxic. It was going to be painful. It wasn't what God wanted. Maybe it's a, you went through a season of unemployment or you didn't get a job you thought you wanted. And you say, God, really? I should have gotten that job. But then you look back and there was something better that came up afterwards. See, we don't always know. And when we look back, sometimes we see how God was at work all along. But if we stopped when we are in those moments where we think is the death of us, we miss out on maybe what God, the bigger picture of what God is doing. And I will say, there's sometimes the pain that comes as a result of just that God allows it, and he's working, and sometimes the pain comes because we do stupid things. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we bring it on ourselves. But God can use that too. It's not the end. God's plan doesn't always exclude pain but he can use it. He uses it all. The next thing I notice in this story is this. It says, uh, the inside matters more than the outside. There's two different times in the story we looked at today when Joseph had something on the outside that was a symbol of his status. One was this multicolored coat, this coat that meant I'm important, I'm special, I'm the favored son, God has a plan for me. Look at me and his brothers, it says. In Genesis 37, 23, they stripped it off of him. They took the outside and they stripped it from him so he no longer had that status. And they sold him as a slave. The second time was he was working for Potiphar. He had a robe on. The robe was one and he was a second in command. He was over all of Potiphar's house. And his, uh, Potiphar's wife takes it and strips it from him when he runs away. His status, his position was taken from him in both situations. You see, but the inside is what matters more than the outside. If I was Joseph, I might have said, God, seriously, I was in a better position. Okay, so I got sold into slavery, but now I'm moving up. And now you took that away. Maybe he could have given up on God and said, look, I look around, I come here on a Sunday morning, and I see very spiritual people, but I know I'm not. Maybe I don't fit, but you're just looking on the outside. Maybe you see other people's gifts and passions and you think, Man, God, they, they've got it. I'm, who am I? And you're looking at the inside or the outside, but God's looking into the inside. You see, the outward circumstances aren't really in play here. They shape us. They change us. They're part of your journey, but the outside isn't what matters. It's on the inside that God's at work. Joseph remained a person of integrity following the Lord even when the outside was taken away. I don't know if I could do what he did, but he did. We're told in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, 
I have the verse for you. It says, God sees not as man sees, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Some of you here this morning need to know that the Lord is looking at your heart. And you might say, but, uh, but you, you don't know, Ryan, I'm a mess. I look around and the people in this church, they're not a mess. I am. But those of you who are with us, you know, we try to encourage you weekly by reminding you, yes, you are a mess. <laughs> we all are. In fact, take a moment, look at the person next to you and let them know you're a mess. Tell them right now. It's, we can never hear it enough. <laughs> All right. Now look at them and say, but God loves you anyway. <laughs> Truth we need to hear every day. <laughs> it's funny to me every time I say that, that the, some married couples, like there's some guys in here that just won't say it. They're like, I'm not going to say it. Not going to say it. <laughs> Probably smart. All right. <laughs> Inside matters more than the outside. God, we're all in process. But your circumstances, God will use where you are, wherever it is. And he wants to. And that last thing is this. The smaller things often prepare us for bigger things. See, notice the life of Joseph. He actually starts, and every step of the way, he steps out in faith. He stepped out in faith and shared this dream, this vision from God. In a way, you could say, is Joseph a prophet? And he, he had the courage to say what, was, what he believed he needed to say, but it wasn't really received, and then he said it again. It wasn't really received until he was thrown and sold into slavery. And slavery here, he thought, well, Lord, you've been with me to here, so I'm going to continue to live my life for you. I'm going to continue to walk with you, but this isn't how I thought I'd get here. But he did. And he lived with integrity even as a servant. And then he's thrown into prison. And he could look back and say, okay, I've had enough, God. But instead of giving up, he said, well, you were with me when I was a slave. You were with me when I was the youngest brother. You have been with me each step of the way. Now this circumstance seems a little bigger, God. This seems a little more hopeless. The problems, I need you to be bigger than you were last time. But I will live with integrity. And what we're going to find next week is that there's even a bigger thing in store for Joseph. And each step of the way, God used the smaller things to prepare him for the bigger things. Now that might be that in your life, he is preparing you for what you're going through for something bigger, and it might be that you're getting a bigger and bigger view of who God is. And that's important too, that we are growing in our belief in all of his ways and characters. But the little things prepare us. Sometimes we want to start at the top. We want to say, God, let's skip these steps in between. I just want to have a full trust in who you are right here, big, and I want to just see you show up in amazing ways through my life, and let's start here. But sometimes God's going to take you, in fact, probably every time, he's going to take you through the little things to prepare you for the bigger things. I believe that's, that's even part of our faith, stepping out. Some of you say, well, I, I, I'm not really generous. I don't give to church, I don't give to missionaries, because one, one day when I have more money, I'll start. I'll be faithful when I have a little bit more from you, God. I, I don't serve or volunteer and give much time because I'm busy, and out of everyone in North San Diego County, I'm probably the only one who's busy, so I don't really have time to give and to serve, but, but when my kids are out of this house, then I can. When my kids are out of the house, and then we've done the vacations we've been saving up, and, and trying to hold off on, after that, then we can. Oh, and then when the grandkids, right? But God wants us to step out in faith 
in the smaller things. And it's not just so we can learn and grow and get better, but it's because our view of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And every time you face something bigger, you can say, God, if you were faithful before, you can be faithful again. And in the words of Major Ian Thomas, he, actually, he says this, when we look back at the way that God has shown up time and again, we can see that he, God is never less than enough. He's never been less than enough. When you look back at his faithfulness, you say, oh, if you were there in that situation, then I'll trust that you'll be here in this one that's bigger. And we find that God is never less than enough. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that there's no pain. I'm not saying there's no suffering. But the smaller things lead to bigger things. We invite the worship team to make their way back up. And as we end our time here this morning, we're going to end our time with what we call communion. And we have tables throughout the room. And what we're going to do is we'll, we'll invite you in a moment. You have a couple songs to Go to the table, and at the table there's pieces of, of bread, these crackers that represent the life of Christ, the body of Christ. His body that Jesus lived, he actually lived and walked and breathed and existed on this world, and his body that was broken for you and for me to bring life. And, and we'll take the juice, it's a cup that represents the blood of Jesus, the covenant that he made, agreement that he made, where he said, I will be enough for you. What I do on the cross is enough to forgive you for your past, your present, and your future sins. What I did on the cross is enough for you, for now and forever, that my spirit will be with you, and I will always be enough for you in every situation you come to. You're having a tough time with your kids. You're having a tough time in your marriage. You're having a tough time with your health, with your job, your finances. My promise to you is that I promise to walk with you and I will be enough. Now notice, it's not always enough in the way that we want him to be. God doesn't always say, I will be whatever you want me to be. He says, I will be enough for you. For Joseph, I'm sure Joseph would say, how about we don't do this slavery thing? How about we don't do this prison thing? I've got, here, I have a list of other ideas. But he learned to believe that God was enough in the pits and in the prisons and next week in the palaces. That God is never less than enough. And so when we take this time to take communion and remember, let's remember that Jesus is more than enough for everything that we face. And you're welcome to go and take it alone if you want to reflect and pray for a while. If you want to go up there with someone in your family or with a friend, maybe there's someone in the room that you want to go to and say, hey, you know what, I, I think I offended you before. I just want to apologize. Maybe go take communion with someone who hasn't always been on your good side. Let's let it be a picture here this morning that we trust that our God is enough. And if Jesus is enough, that means we don't have to be. You don't have to play the game. You don't have to be stronger than you are. You don't have to be smarter than you are. You don't have to be more put together than you are. Because Jesus is more than enough. So as we end our time here and take communion, it's a remembrance that what Jesus did for us is all that we need for our lives. 
pray with me. God, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you so much for the reminder that in the pits, in the prisons, and in the palaces, that, Lord, you are there with us. And, God, we want to be people who are caught up in your great mission. We want to be people who are caught up in your plan. And, Lord, there's times when we're going to need an extra measure of faith. There's times we're going to need an extra, extra measure of your presence. There's times when we're going to fall short and we're going to not believe all we need to believe about you. And God, I ask that now you'd step into those moments already. And Lord, as we in this place remember your, your life, your death, your resurrection, Lord, may you unleash your spirit and your presence in this place. For your name's sake, not ours. So we give you this time now, Jesus, in your name.